Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Boyle, and today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review the 1980 Prince... Extravaganza. Extravaganza. Purple Rain. Before we talk about the movie, Andy, you're here. I'm here. And like I'm, you're physically here. I'm physically here. Physical, permanent like. This isn't one of us visiting and hanging out and doing uh, a podcast episode for the convenience sake of it. Mm-mm. I have moved to Asheville, North Carolina, dear listeners. Um, and it has been a very wonderful process. And I'm very, 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 very happy to be here. And one of the reasons I'm so very happy to be here is it means that no more dual recording in separate separate bedrooms, but instead recording here together and being able to play off each other in that way. And, and we kept saying, oh, it'll be so much easier when you live here. We can record together. However... It's been it's been a minute since we've recorded because you've been moving and yes. picking up your whole life and relocating it like 500 miles north. We took a good month and a half break, oh, Lord. which I think resulted in like one episode being slightly late or maybe one episode we're an episode behind or something. The point is we planned very well <laughs> beforehand. And now we're going to either try to build back up a catalog or we'll just be kind to ourselves and play it as we see it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do the one where we're kind to ourselves. That sounds yeah. nice. That sounds that sounds really nice. But in all honesty, it will probably be easier to record because your house is a five minutes down the road from mine, which is a vast improvement over 500 miles away. Yes. Five minutes beats eight hours if you're lucky. Eight hours. Okay, like seven and a half. Like, let's be real. The way you drive. The way I drive. Absolutely. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of things that drive very fast. Prince's motorcycle. (laughs) Prince on his motorcycle. And also the plot of this movie. It drives fast, would you say? I'd say it drives very fast. It's very hit the ground running. We start Purple Rain with a music video sequence that squarely makes it the most 80s movie we have ever watched. And that's saying something. Yeah, we've seen a lot of 80s movies. And I think this one is one because I've never seen this movie. But when Prince walks out in his white jacket with his purple undershirt, I'm like, oh, yeah. That's what I think of when I think of Purple Rain is that outfit. Well, and just like, you know, it it starts with the band The Revolution playing in a club. And in that club, you just see every single 80s club chic stereotype. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Susan is in the background of that crowd somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if like... Ducky was trying to fight with the bouncer to get in. I wouldn't be surprised if the Toxic Avenger was in the alley behind. This movie encapsulates all of them so well. And it is just the most goddamn 80s thing. 
Too bad it's not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we watched this with Alex. And for the record, so you're staying with me right now while we're waiting for your apartment to open up. Yep. And Alex had recently gotten his COVID booster shot. So we all got a bug up our ass and we were like, we could probably get our COVID booster shot. So we watched this movie probably a mere couple of hours before the COVID booster hit us. It was the even before what wound up being like a 36 hour ass kicking on both of our parts. Very much so. So we kind of watched Purple Rain High, just high off of COVID particles. But I don't think that necessarily affected the viewing experience. The best thing I can say is I enjoyed Purple Rain, but I have my arguments with calling it a movie. It is a very loosely constructed film. So we talked about this beforehand, but I think it's like I wanted it to have so much stronger of a plot than it did. Mm Mm-hmm. So when I, you know, when I go into the part where I say, for those of you who missed the movie, but it's really hard with this movie because it's like part biopic, part music video. So yeah, like for those of you who missed the movie, Purple Rain is the story, loosely autobiographical story of Prince, referred to in the movie as the kid, who is a young up and coming musician struggling with abuse in his home life and strife amongst his band members and a rival music group trying to edge him out and making a a love life for himself. And that's like it. Like the, the climax is if you don't play good enough music kid, your ass is out of the club, which is in and of itself a plot hole when you're dealing with the music of Prince mm. and asking your audience to believe that it's not the most fire shit in the movie. Yeah, because any of the other music that's presented, you're like, yeah, this is this is good. And then Prince plays and you're yeah. like, this is obviously better. Yeah. Like this, this has several music sequences from a couple of different bands. I think it's like four different bands. Um, the other big one is Morris Day and the Time, which I had never heard of and wasn't sure was a real band before watching this movie. And they're like, they're good. They're funky as hell. I actually really enjoy Morris Day and the Time. But then you play Prince and the Revolution and it's just face shreddingly 80s awesome which okay reminds me did you see in the opening sequence someone is throwing devil horns i did not so it's like the opening sequence you're watching a prince show which is actually a live recording of a prince show cut into this movie and someone in the fo- in the foreground right in front of the camera, so they're shadowed, is throwing up devil horns. And I'm like, who the fuck is throwing devil horns at a Prince show? Uh, some Minneapolis club kid who doesn't <laughs> care, I guess. That's really all I got. It just didn't seem to go with that kind of music because it's no, so not at all. jazzy and thirsty. And you're like, this, is- this doesn't make sense. Well, it's like... 
Prince and the Revolution especially is like very squarely rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of get it. Devil horns are metal, but you're not going to be throwing up devil horns from Worst Day in the Time or the Modern Airs or Appalachian Six. Here's the thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. This was a genre of film once upon a time and when i say this what i mean is movies where the primary selling point is look at this real world singer that Mm -hmm. we've got and is the star of the movie and is performing his own songs their Mm -hmm. own songs and like the plots whatever but you're buying a ticket to see this movie because it's a bunch of glorified music videos you know there are Probably a dozen Elvis Presley movies that do this. Um, I'm sure there are numerous other ones I could think of. Purple Rain is like the last biggest, last gasp of this style of film marketing. Mm -hmm. Where the whole point is you're there to see Prince. And you're there to see Prince do Prince shit. (laughs) This isn't Lady Gaga and A Star Is Born. Where, like, yeah, you want to watch them sing, but they're clearly acting. Whereas Prince is just parading around being Prince. Prince is parading around being Prince, and, like, he thinks he's acting, but, like, he's really just kind of being a dick to everybody. (laughs) I love that. And it was just interesting, because as I was watching it, I was thinking about Blue Hawaii and all the Elvis movies and shit, and sitting here being like, you don't really get this anymore. Sure. No, Lady Gaga isn't making some thinly veiled Lady Gaga movie. No. If Lady Gaga's doing it, they're just taking a concert and giving it like a standard film, live film treatment. So it was just, it was fascinating to see this kind of like artifact. Yeah, so I think the closest thing we get, because we talked about this a little bit beforehand, I kept wanting this to be kind of a little bit more of, like, just a a concept album. Right. Kind of in the same way that, like, The Wall is a movie, but it's basically an album. Yeah. And the reason it's interesting to me that you pull up, you know, biopic where it's engaged around the artist's life. The thing that I think about is Lemonade, when Beyonce basically took her marital troubles with Jay-Z and was like, I'm going to start by putting shade directly on you and highlighting it for the world to see. Cool. And Jay-Z, who knows he fucked up badly, goes, yeah. cool, 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 cool back. Cool. I love you. Um, but it's that same concept of like, here is my life. It's on display and it's presented in a narrative a narrative arc through song right especially because it's all over reading about this movie that it was at least partially autobiographical correct and it gets really interesting trying to parse which bits are and aren't autobiographical for instance you know it's a massive thing in the movie that the kid He's got a a battered mother and an abusive father who beats on both him and his wife. And that is major inciting plot 
moving forward action that like enforces the character of the kid and when he beats on his own girlfriend there's supposed to be this like cathartic oh my god he's he's trapped in the cycle thing maybe i'm just like my father too cold right yeah or bold which one's cold and which one's bold is it father is cold mother is bold well his mother's never satisfied I'm going to put in a drop. <laughs> but like the thing is in real life, Prince's parents were incredibly supportive and had a wonderful marriage. And so like all of the, my home life is troubled sh- stuff is complete dramatization for the sake of the movie. Sure. But like the thing where he's a massive controlling dick to, uh, I think it's Lucy and Wendy, Mm -hmm. his bandmates, who all they want to do is not play just his music, but present some of their own. And he like, he is just straight up a dick and does not give them a shot. That part is true. Like Prince has said that part is true. Like, yeah, I'm a control freak. Yeah, which props to him for being like, not only am I going to make a movie kind of quasi about my life, I'm going to make a movie kind of quasi about my life where it is very clear I'm an asshole. Like, I, having not seen this, having not known much about Prince, um, the Prince that I think of is the one episode of New Girl where Prince comes on New Girl. And it's like Prince, it's not... A character who represents... It's Prince himself. He throws a party and Jess and the Loft gang go over to his party. Accidentally meet Prince. Doesn't give them a moment to, like, compose themselves and freak out. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I haven't given you a moment. Let me give you a moment. And Jess just, like, loses her mind. Yeah. That is the Prince I think of who's incredibly charming and incredibly sweet and just really winning. And then in this movie, he throws a girl in a garbage can, tricks a girl into jumping naked into a lake. Yes, he he does straight up be like, yo, I didn't tell you to do that, but fair point. She jumps into a lake because of something he said. Yes. And hits a woman. So like, spoiler plate, this movie didn't age well ever. No, yeah, and like it, it is to your point. It is such a interesting tactic to go. We're gonna take our above the title marquee name and make him an incredibly unlikable character. Sure, but then also he's liquid hot sex in a Lazoro mask because it's Prince. Correct. Very fucking true. And it's still Prince, and the music is still good. The costumes are fucking amazing. Yeah. The There's a lot of really exciting camera work around his concerts. Yeah, of course. And that's where it kind of ends production-wise. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see what you mean. There's clearly... Like I said, the whole point of it was we are going to promote Prince's next album. In fact, the reason this exists, I was looking into it, 
um, it was time for Prince to re-up his record contract, and he straight up told whoever at whatever records, I'm not signing a piece of paper unless you put me in a movie. So, like, Prince wanted to be in Prince the movie, or else he was going to walk out on his record label, and so we got Purple Rain. <laughs> but he walked out on his record label anyway. Well, yeah, but <laughs> they didn't know that at the time. That's why he's the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah. And now goes by, well. Went by. Oh. Oh, I had a shining moment where I thought this man was still alive. That was really sad. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, they're going to eventually release his music as if he were alive for the next, like, 20 years because he, that's how much of it he wrote. Yeah, but that's not okay. No. He didn't want it to be released. No. Fair enough. We can be sad. We can be sad now. Let's be sad. <laughs> Speaking of, to, to get away of being sad, but to go back to what's so interesting about the parts of this that are real and the parts of this that aren't, I want to highlight Morris Day and the time. Okay, let's talk about it. It is such an interesting choice. And the like. the real reason behind all of this is Morris Day and the Time were like a Prince project. Like sure. he was their mentor, boss, whatever. And so I think there was an aspect of like, if you want me to continue sharing my musical genius, you're going to be in my movie. That said, massive props to Morris Day for playing a comedic villain, but definitely a villain who yeah. is like, shitty to women and just like an outright asshole under his own name yeah you know that's fair just being like yeah you know what i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this and and it would be so easy to like make up to other bands but again i think the marketing people were like we could probably sell some time records if it's clear that it's more staying the time. Hey Morris, are you cool? Like being a dick to Prince on camera and Morris said, am I? <laughs> am I? That's only everything I've been waiting for. That's everything I've ever wanted. Oh, by the way, I'm going to get like out of my mind high every day and have to be dragged onto set. Is that oh, cool? No. Cool. Really? Yeah. That seems to be a reoccurring theme. I mean, that's a reoccurring theme today. That's that's Hollywood. That's the dark side of showbiz. That's business, baby. Uh. <laughs> but I just, I, it, it's so fascinating because he kind of winds up being like a nuanced character, like far more nuanced than the kid mm -hmm. is Morris Day. Mm -hmm. Let's have some action. Let's have some asses wiggling. I want some perfection. <laughs> During the opening sequence, you see he lives in like a shitty apartment in like squalor and he's like vacuuming in his pajamas or something. And then he grabs the suit and five minutes later, he is capital M, capital D, Morris Day dancing and singing on stage with his own personal hype man. And I can't remember what it is now, but like, the first actual moment in the film where somebody shows a little bit of depth and a little bit of like pathos, it's not the kid, it's Morris Day. Mm -hmm. 
where I'm sitting and being like, oh, you're the bad guy, and I, I feel so much strongly on your side than anything for Prince right now. Well, they have this whole montage of him getting ready in his apartment and, like, becoming Morris Day. Right. And that's so intriguing because you're like, oh, this is this is a hero montage. Yeah. Because you don't watch Prince get ready. You don't watch him show up somewhere. The only thing you do is you watch him drive around in a motorcycle with a bass, which is weird because he plays the guitar in the movie, but... It's whatever. <laughs> don't question it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Why are we getting a random When Doves Cry music video smack dab in the middle of this movie? It's Chinatown. <laughs> There, there is no plot sense, and even the like, even the comedic moments of this movie seem really random. So there's like halfway through the movie, there's this really random like take of who's on first. Yes. except the code word is. Yeah, it's it's again, it's Morris Day. It's Morris yeah. Day and Jerome doing who's on first. Only it's what's the password. The password is what? No, what's the password? Exactly. Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> but it also comes out of nowhere, and you're like, tonally, this doesn't fit with any other part of the movie. But it manages to work. It doesn't work in the movie, but in its own moment, you're sitting there laughing at it. Yes. Yeah. But that's a lot of this movie, is it's random ramshackle pieces glued together. Absolutely. And not to cut ahead to, like, the cultness of it all, but, you know, this is a movie... I think I heard about Purple Rain, the movie, before I heard about Prince the Artist in my own personal upbringing. And, like, this this movie has been lauded by the National Film Registry as having cultural and aesthetic significance and, like, needing to be preserved as a piece of art... And this is so beloved in so many ways. This, uh, I was reading, this was commercially successful for MTV across four different departments. Filmmaking, soundtrack, uh, it's, it helped home video be a thing because everybody wanted to rent it on VHS. And then like uh, promotional material. So I'm thinking back to when we did Birdie and Pink. Mm. And we were both like, so what this is a blase movie and then after we recorded we were like oh this was the first movie where the geek girl gets the popular rich boy sure this is the first movie where all of those like 80s teen movie tropes became a thing so part of it is like i wonder how much more we would understand this movie if we were of this genre that's a really time frame. Yeah, of the time. I understand what you mean. Yeah. And that's a really good point. You know, to to think back to those Elvis movies, that was the 60s and 50s and whatever, and he made a franchise out of that. That became the thing Elvis did for the mid-late part of his life before the Vegas years. So there was clearly like a market for this kind of story. Mm-hmm. And then skip the generation of the 70s. And now you've got all the 80s club kids rediscovering this phenomenon. I, I, could, I could totally see that. Yeah, where you're just like, well, this is what we have. This is what defines our generation. 
Because if you talk to people like even one or two generations above us, they're like, oh yeah, Purple Rain was like the makeout movie. Right. Or, you know, um, one of the poets I follow on Twitter made a pretty timely tweet about how she's like, oh yeah, no, Purple Rain was like my discovering my sexuality. And I was like... (laughs) Well, you know what? Fucking fair. Yeah, that's a that's a good movie for you to do that too. <laughs> because Prince is so fine. And that's a really good point that like culturally, this is the final dying days of the grindhouse. Yeah. And people are eating up Friday the thirteenth part four. Yeah. And we're like two or three years away from the Lost Boys being a, like, total phenomenon. So this is that same, oh, this is that same exact crowd who went to Lost Boys a few years earlier are going to Purple Rain and, like, just absolutely eating it up and loving it. Mm-hmm. And again, like, it's Prince. Yeah. At the end of the day, he plays an asshole. There are some confusing things about it, but, like... It's Prince. How are you not going to like Prince? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Ugh. I just wish I had liked this movie more. That's fair. It certainly had a lot of buildup. It had a lot of buildup from Alex. Well, in the abuse arc, so let's talk about that. There's this whole idea that, you know... Prince is abusive because his dad is abusive and he's metabolized all of this negative energy in his life. And it's really badly timed. The timing on this movie is whack. It comes out of nowhere. So, like, we have a scene where Prince watches his dad hit his mother and then his girlfriend, Apollonia, comes over just seemingly out of nowhere... And he hits her for reasons? It's like, the whole thing is like, they, they're, they've they got sparks the entire first third of the movie. Oh yeah, they have chemistry. Like, they, have, they have massive chemistry. She jumps in a lake naked on like, what isn't even a first date. Um, so like, there's this build up and tension, but then the second she disagrees with him in any way. Yeah. That's when he hits her. Well, she's going to be a part of a musical act with another, you know, another major singer when she had said, I want you to teach me. And so she was stroking his ego and then basically saying, no, you know what? I have to go be with this person because they're a little bit more successful. (sighs) I could I couldn't remember if that was why and I still can't so I might be off the base. I feel like that came after, but mm, I don't think so. I think that's why he hits her because he's so upset that she's going to do that sure, thing. That does make sense. But also, that's either the same scene or a scene after she brings him this beautiful guitar that she pawned so much money for. Like she pawned some kind of flashy jewelry that she had and she brings not herself him a guitar because also lol class commentary where she 
doesn't have enough money to afford her apartment, is thinking of becoming a backup dancer just to get cash, but she's totally fine to pawn her one fine thing to buy her boyfriend a guitar. Well, so what does it say that before it was Apollonia Cadona, it was Prince's then real life girlfriend who is, I don't know if she's a model or a singer, but somebody named Vanity. The point is, how does that scene change when it's, I'm writing in my real life girlfriend doing this thing and buying me a guitar? That's basically when I ask you and Alex for a pony. If I were writing this movie, I would be like, and then Andy and Alex both buy Stephanie a pony. It's fair. I want my pony. Clyde Owens was a gift, and I love him. He's stuffed. He's not a real (laughs) pony. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, boy. But there is a lot of economic disparity to discuss in this movie. Oh, yeah. Again, 80s. A, a, a truth. I think there is something to be said of the fact that, you know, it Prince lives with his parents in their home. Um, Apollonia lives, question mark? Apollonia shows up and it's clear that, like, she's new in town and... <laughs> stiffs the the taxi cab driver because she doesn't have enough money for that and i thought watching it that that would come back as like some big plot hook and really it's not it's just the whole thing of like yeah she's from somewhere and she took the clothes off her back and moved to minneapolis and that's what happened but yeah she's in like a rent by the week tenement building or something Mm mm-hmm for starters, you have to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. What? You have to purify yourself in Lake Minnetonka. She's Nomi Malone's older sister. I could see it. <laughs> because she has that ballsy, I'm very aware of my sex appeal, I'm very aware of my ability to get places, and I'm not going to tell you anything about my past, but I'm going to be sassy. I'm going to throw shit at you for reasons. Wow, yeah. All this takes is a shift of who our protagonist is. And this is so very much all of a sudden Dreamgirls. Showgirls. Showgirls. Dreamgirls is a very different different movie. Very different movie. Yes, you're right. This is all of a sudden Showgirls. Yeah, so if Apollonia, you, you shift the movie to her perspective... Apollonia shows up in town, starts dating a guy in a similar way as Nomi starts dating a guy who completely fucking screws her over. Yep. And then she has to make her own career for herself, come hell or high water. And is like with the guy who's like a troubled artist, but then like has a core character flaw in uh showgirls it's he can't stay loyal mm-hmm. in purple rain it's he hits her mm-hmm. and then like goes off with somebody else and like makes their own way again for all the stuff that presents morris as the villain like the times you see him and Apollina interact there is one time where he has Jerome like kidnapper, and that's not great. 
But then later in the movie, they're like merrily walking down an alley drunk together. Mm. And like, there's a moment where it seems like he's going to do the shitty thing and come on to her. But then he like stops Mm -hmm. and the kid shows up and it, it disintegrates anyway. But you're forgetting about his one unforgivable sin. He's not Prince. Well, also that he drinks champagne out of a martini glass. (laughs) That bothered me so, so much. Sure. So much. Like, I'm, I'm not on high society. I am drinking moonshine out of a tumbler glass that I think was meant for another kind of liquor. But... Martini glasses are meant for martinis. And we, like, as a culture, we have a type of cup that we associate with both of these things. And they just said, fuck it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's easier to shoot back. Why are you shooting champagne? Why are you shooting champagne? (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. That sounds like a great way to get a headache. Yeah, that one I don't have an answer for. Okay. It just... Super bothered me. Well, okay. So speaking of things that uh, were probably would have led to bother, can I tell you a few facts about Purple Rain? Yes, you please can. We almost had John Travolta in the role of Prince. Like, oh fuck! For a while, the studio executives were like, "Hey, that that guy was really good in Saturday Night Fever. I bet he could play Prince." <laughs> one of these things is not like the other no <laughs> no not at all i don't like that that would have made all the concert scenes very strange especially since literally the revolution the band in purple rain is the real life revolution so to have taken prince out and had everyone else stay in there that would have just been very strange for the people who know prince who are ostensibly who this movie is for Because, like, you can't walk in not knowing anything about Prince and and really come away out of this movie enjoying it in the way for they intend you to. Well, case in point, me. Because I know eh about Prince. I know some because my husband is obsessed. Sure. And like me, like, I remember really enjoying that halftime show and Raspberry Berets of Jam... And, of course, I've seen the Dave Chappelle sketch, which seems a lot more on the nose after seeing Purple Rain. But that was really about it for my Prince knowledge going into the film. (laughs) Um, The other thing that is going to upset you is, just like Showgirls, it's actually really coincidental that we keened on this parallel, this has a sequel, no, it does not. This has a sequel starring Prince, starring Morris Day. They Shut got your... rid of Apollina. Shut your whore mouth, really? Oh, yeah. No, this absolutely has a sequel. What? Now that we're live, I can just pull random shit up. Yeah, Graffiti Bridge. That doesn't even look like Prince. Written and directed and starring Prince. Because at this point, he was just like, yeah, I don't need anybody else. And is a direct sequel about the kid. The plot continues with the kid living a future life as an upbeat performer and co-owner of a club. Glam slam. Oh. 
I want to open a club called Glam Slam, which was willed to him from Billy, who owned the First Avenue Club in the first film. Solitary and lovelorn, well, that's your own damn fault. He spent personal time composing songs, writing letters to his deceased father. Well, that's why you're solitary and lovelorn. This is so fascinating. This is fascinating just in the sense of, like, I had no idea this existed. You would think that in the oeuvre of Purple Rain, <laughs> you would you would hear about Graffiti Bridge, but this was a, like, direct-to-video passion project of Prince's that superbombed, even being direct-to-video. So, but you need to know it exists. I'm so offended that I know this exists. Perfect. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so we've rambled around for quite a bit. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about about Purple Rain? Because I have a page and a half of notes, but after half a page down, I think, is when the COVID hit. Because all of these don't make sense. Well, so many of our notes, looking back on mine, too, is, God, Prince, you're such a dick. <laughs> like, yeah. dude... Just don't hit your girlfriend. Just, Why are you being such an asshole? Just don't talk her into diving in a lake for no reason. Just don't look at your two bandmates who like are begging you just to listen to the song with disdain like they're covered in dog shit, Prince. Oh, well, that actually leads very well into our Oscars. Can I give you my Oscar? Oh, absolutely. My Oscar is for Best Lesbian Couple. Okay, go on. Okay, so Linda and Wendy were a true couple. Okay. They really did play in Prince's band. Like you keened on, they really were treated this way by Prince. But they are still married. Excellent. Wonderful. So, like, you know what? Purple Rain gave us a lot, but at least it gave us hashtag lesbian goals. Well, okay, you want to hear the real last thing that's going to drastically upset you then related to that. Uh There was an on-screen kiss between Lisa and Wendy, and it it was one of the few scenes to get cut out of the film. No! Because... Oh, well, because gay. Because 80s and gay and AIDS AIDS crisis and shitty, misogynistic, toxic masculine behavior. No, I refuse. That's fair. Still a good Oscar. Still a good Oscar. What's yours? My Oscar is best passive aggressive dick move for the scene in which the kid performs the song Darling Nikki which is about a man meeting a hooker in a hotel and like sings it at Apollina. Mm-hmm. And like, we even discussed it because I think our, our brains were getting a little foggy and, and we're sitting there and you're like, is he? And I'm like, yeah, he's doing that at her. She decided to work with another music producer and he is calling her a whore for it. Which is so great. So, so great. So, so great. So shitty. <laughs> you know, in, in a way, it's kind of brilliant to have Prince basically sit here and go, yeah, the real villain is myself. I'm both the hero and the villain. At least he knows, you know. Yeah. He knew and he had no bones about it and he 
put forth an accurate representation. Well, speaking of putting forth an accurate representation, do you have a good quote for this movie? Oh, a quote. Ooh, goodness. I don't know if I do, other than because it, it's it's probably the one moment of genuine, like, maybe not the one moment, but the first moment of genuine joy I had for the character of the kid is when Apollonia strips down all her clothes and jumps into a lake, and he just goes, that's not Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> <laughs> which was very funny which was very funny um so no i don't have a quote either so i'm very sorry i brought that up <laughs> but can i make it up to you yeah absolutely especially if it involves good sir kevin bacon yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, who was, I believe, Prince's dad in the film. Correct. Was in The General's Daughter with James Cromwell. Oh, okay. Who we all know as uh, Pig's dad, Babe's dad, in Babe. Also, uh, like, four different guys from Star Trek. Sure, if you're a nerd. Yeah. Um, And James Cromwell was in Beyond the Boundaries with Kevin Bacon. Okay, so, all right. Two, what you got? I can also do it in two in a different way. Uh, Prince himself lended his voice to a little-known Christmas film called The Nutcracker Adventure in the Four Realms, which had honest-to-God Shakespearean-ass actor Matthew McFadden, Mr. Darcy himself... And Matthew McFadden, Mr. Darcy himself, was in Frost Nixon with Kevin Bacon. Get out of my house. <laughs> Not a big Nutcracker fan? No. Oh, fair enough. Oh, have I not told you about my, like, in, intense fear of Nutcrackers? You know what? I think you have, but it's been years. I don't like how wide their mouths can open. It's not okay with me. That's very fair. <laughs> but. Well, that will be Christmas trash we do not watch. No, absolutely not. But maybe we'll watch some other kind of trash. We can only find out. Yay! Maybe the crypt will be very um, funny and give us anaconda now that you live here. Maybe it will. That would be great. That would not be great, but okay. I have very much missed um, letting the crypt decide our fate and going through the uh, list of 291 films. Good lord, you added some. I super did not. We've been slowly working our way down from 300. Mm -hmm. I do have a list of movies I'd like to add, but I'm not. Thank you. Out of those 291 films, we are going to be looking at a high number, 287. I think I recently sorted this by year, so it's going to be a fairly recent one. Oh. <laughs> okay, so... Number 287 is a movie called The Promise. And I distinctly remember putting The Promise on here because it is a um, historical drama about the Armenian genocide that the country of Turkey refuses to acknowledge as a real movie. 
Okay, where can we find that, Andy? Let's find out. The Promise, starring Oscar Isaac. Oh, okay. Charlotte LeBron and Christian Bale is available on Amazon Prime for rent. Unless you are in the country of Turkey, in which case I guarantee you it is not available anywhere. Well, that's all for this fun edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also rate, review, and share our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We will close the crypt for now. But join us next time as we uh, fight off internet trolls who argue the validity of a historical event, that historical event being the Armenian Genocide, as we watch Terry George's The Promise. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Boel. Well, did you have a quote? I super didn't. Oh, why'd you ask me? Because I thought you might have.